He's working in us to accomplish an eternal change from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Welcome back. This is the second of a two-part message we began last week in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. If you would open your Bibles there, please, Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole passage again from verses 21 through 34. If you were able to be with us last week, hopefully you will remember all those things. But uh, if you weren't, I'll sort of get you caught up so that you know where we are in the midst of this message. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. He came in and said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which translated is, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, 
and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and he said that something should be given her to eat. Beloved, this is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. His Word to us today. Be sure that we receive it as such. Let's pray. Father, there are absolutely amazing things recorded for us in this Word. Help us as we look into it today to grasp, to understand, to see the lessons that You have for us, to recognize who Jesus is, what He has done for us, Father, I pray that You would speak words of hope to the hearts of those who so desperately need hope today. Speak words of comfort to those who need comfort. Challenge all of us, Lord, that our understanding of You would grow greater, deeper, larger. That we would not relegate these things to the long, long ago and far, far away, but Father, that we would see that we serve a risen Savior, one who is active and in this world today, seeking the souls of men. Father, speak to us now through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at the first part of the message, which was the story of a desperate woman. A woman who was unnamed in the Scripture. A woman who was an outcast. She had had a medical condition that caused her to be continually bleeding. And this had happened now for 12 long, exhausting years. She had tried everything. Everything known to man. She had spent everything that she had. Her family was unable to help her anymore. She had no more resources to give. And the physicians had effectively accomplished nothing. And her condition only grew worse. She came and she had heard about Jesus. She knew who He was and what He had done in the past. She was living there in Capernaum on the edges, on the outskirts. She had heard all the things that he had done right there in town. She doubtless knew that he had cast a demon out of a man in the synagogue. She knew of other miracles. And she had convinced herself in her mind that if she could come up behind Jesus and just even touch the hem of the robe that he was wearing, that he would have compassion on her, that he would heal her. And we saw last week that she did just exactly that, but Jesus stopped the procession. They were on the way to Jairus' house. Jairus had pleaded with Jesus, please come, my child is about to die. And Jesus was going to that place where the child was. But all of a sudden now, he stops dead still and he deals with this woman. And He restores her, not just physically, 
But he calls her out of the crowd and calls her to himself. And she comes and she falls down and she confesses everything and all that was she had experienced. And Jesus says to her, daughter, daughter. He, he was on his way to help a daughter, wasn't he? The daughter of Jairus, the little girl who was right at the threshold of death. And he says to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And she got up, this woman who had suffered for 12 years, this woman who had been an outcast, this woman who, who was barred from attendance at the synagogue, barred from attendance at the temple, now she got up and she was whole and she was healed and she was a part of the community again. And just as that great joy began to filter through the crowd, somebody from Jairus's house shows up and says to Jairus, your daughter's dead. There's no point in bringing the Master. Don't trouble Him anymore. And if you remember last week, we were left with the picture. Jesus standing here, Jairus standing here, the person from Jairus' house standing here saying to Jairus, it's hopeless, it's gone, death has come, there's nothing left. And Jesus, standing on the other side of Jairus, says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. That would be a tough place to be in, wouldn't it? To realize that the hope that you had, in fact, that Jesus was on the way, and now this woman has interrupted everything. I wonder what went through Jairus' mind. It'd be hard to imagine, wouldn't it? I mean, if he had any sense of compassion at all, he must have been at least a little bit thankful for the woman that she got what she was hoping for, but he might have been a little bit angry at her too because Jairus is now not going to get what he hoped for. He hoped to have his little daughter saved. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. Could Jairus have said, Wow, lady, you know, you've lived your life. My daughter was only 12 years old, and now because of you, my daughter doesn't have a future. She's, she's dead. She's gone. What would have gone through Jairus' mind? Because remember, these are real people in the pages of Scripture. They're real people. These are real situations. And, and they, they think like we think. Not only are they real people, but they're people that are influenced and affected by their fallenness, by their sin. And Jairus may have been very angry. And it may have been a mixture. You know, I'm glad that she got help, but I've, I've lost everything. But there's Jesus. There's Jesus in the midst of all of this. And, and He doesn't seem to be ruffled he doesn't seem to be disturbed he doesn't seem to be panicked 
I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where people's lives have been at stake and, and you're trying to provide some kind of help and there's hindrances that come in the way and it's easy to panic, isn't it? And to think that everything is out of control. But Jesus is in control of this whole situation. He, he's not ruffled at all. He didn't shortchange that woman at all in, their, in the healing process that he brought to her. He didn't brush her aside. He didn't say, well, come on, hurry up. We've got to get to Jairus' house. We'll, we'll come back and see if we can find the woman. No, he dealt with the thing right there as it was. Because Jesus was able to deal with that other thing, that death, just as he would find it. And that's why Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Death is the end, right? Wrong. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. And Jesus is demonstrating that He, as the Son of God, the Savior who has come into this world, is not only in authority and power over the demon that he had cast out of the man there in the Caper uh, Capernaum synagogue. Not only is he able to heal a living body who was in desperate straits dealing with this issue for 12 years, now he's almost re he's, he's ready to demonstrate that he has authority over life and death. Let me remind us of who Jairus is. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He was a man who was well esteemed in his community. He was a man who was chosen by those within the synagogue to be the presiding officer there. He was the one that had to arrange for the the services each week. He was the one who kind of headed that up and made sure that they had a reader and made sure that they had someone who was going to be able to teach the Scripture that was read. Jairus was in a very trusted position. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue on the day that Jesus confronted that demon-possessed man. It had been at least a year previous to this day. Jairus was the one who had heard Jesus speak, both in the synagogue and out in the community. He had taught more than once by the Sea of Galilee, had gotten into a boat and, and had preached the word there, and had walked through the, the streets of, Galilee, or of, uh, of Capernaum there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, it was Capernaum that Jesus made as his base of operation whenever he was teaching and preaching in the Galilee area. Jairus knew that. He had doubtless heard Jesus preach on numerous occasions. And guess what? Because it was out in the countryside, because it was outside of the synagogue, Jairus's daughter no doubt heard about Jesus no doubt Jairus's daughter 
heard Jesus himself speaking and teaching. No doubt Jairus' daughter, Jairus' wife, knew about the stories that Jesus had healed this person over in this community and that person over in that community. Why do you think Jairus ran to Jesus in the moment of his need? Sometimes we look at these passages of Scripture and we, we just almost see them in isolation. And we think, oh, this must be the first time that Jairus ever heard about Jesus. Oh, this must... You know, and, and we don't realize that these are real people. And Jesus has spent time in Capernaum. And it was not a very big town. And people, I mean, we know that people know about things in our community, don't we? Greencastle's not that big. Mercersburg's not that big. The great metropolis of Marks down here, that's not that big. You know, people know. They know what's going on in our community. We're a, a tight-knit group. Jairus' daughter doubtless knew about Jesus. Speculation. But did she ask her dad to go find Jesus? I have no clue. But there's a tiny hint Notice what Jesus says in verse 39. The child is not dead, but sleeping. If you look throughout the New Testament, whenever Scripture refers to the death of a believer, it's with that picture of sleep. Because sleep is something that you can be wakened from, right? This afternoon, later, after we've had all those delicious corn fritters from uh, Mrs. Gibble's restaurant, you're going to go home and you're going to sit down in that nice easy chair and before long that book that you're reading is going to be flat on your lap and your head's going to be back and you're going to be taking a nap. But it's not a permanent condition, is it? Somebody's going to come along and wake you up in a half an hour or so and, and the nap will be over. And that's the picture that is consistently used of a believer's death in the New Testament. And I don't think I'm reading too much into the text here when Jesus says, the little girl is sleeping that very, very probably this little girl had come to put her trust in Jesus as her Messiah. That's amazing. Did you ever think about that before? These are real people. They've had interaction with each other. Jesus has been in Capernaum now for well over a year. This little girl doubtless heard and saw. And so Jesus finishes the journey with Jairus. He stops everybody else. He takes Peter, James, and John. He finishes the journey. He goes to Jairus' house. I don't know how many blocks it might have been, two, three, four, whatever it was. 
But he gets there, and he's confronted with this crowd. It's interesting to study the, the rituals that surround a person's death. We have them in this country. You know, what's our ritual? Well, we start calling people and we say so-and-so's died, and, and then we get in touch with the funeral home and, and they have a viewing and then there's a service afterwards and oftentimes then there's a meal that follows that. And it's kind of common that that's what happens here in this part of the country. That's our ritual. One of the rituals that was a part of a Jewish family's burial was to have mourners come. They, they were sort of professional criers, professional weepers. And they would come and they would weep and wail. They would give audible, visible expression to the feeling that's down inside. You know, in this country, we don't like to cry, do we? You know, real men don't cry kind of a thing. And, and, and we want to face death with a stiff upper lip. And, and we say, oh, you know, uh, you'll, you'll, this will pass. You'll get over it. In the Middle East, even today, when someone dies, a loved one dies, there's a period of mourning, a period of weeping. And it's quite customary that that, that weeping should be loud and long. And so here was this group of mourners. And they were weeping and wailing, giving visible expression to the sorrow in the hearts of those who had experienced this loss. Can you picture it in your mind? Jesus, Jairus, Peter, James, and John walk in the door, and there's Mrs. Jairus. There's some of their friends weeping, wailing, crying. And Jesus says, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And it says that they ridiculed him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They were furious with him. How dare he treat these dear, grieving people this way? To... to declare that she's not dead when we know very well that her spirit is gone. The life is gone from this little girl. If you've ever been around someone who's died, you know, don't you, when that last breath is taken and you hear that sound and that person is lifeless, you know that the life is gone. And, and you can't grab it. You can't, you can't bring it back. It, it's done. And these people were furious with Jesus. They ridiculed Him. They mocked Him. How dare He treat these grieving people in this way? But Jesus puts all the rest of the folks out. Uh, out. <laughs> I don't know. Was, did He just usher them out did he say get out of here what what it's not recorded for us it says that he put them out and so now we have there in this home of Jairus and Mrs. Jairus 
we have just the two of them, Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, James, and John are there not because they can do anything except to be witnesses to what Jesus is about to do. They're not, they don't have any power. They don't have any whatever. They're just there for the, for the ride, if you will. They're there to see what takes place. And so Jesus goes into where this little girl was lying. Most of those homes had multiple rooms. And so he went into the room where she was. And I can just picture Mrs. Jairus and Jairus following him in, crying, holding on to one another. This is their only child, and she's dead. And Jesus, without any display of anything, I mean, no, no, no rituals, no mumbo-jumbo, nothing at all, simply goes over to her and says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Did you notice what words are here? Verse 42, immediately. Immediately. That word occurs a couple of times in this passage of Scripture. Immediately. It's Mark's favorite word. It's a word that brings us right into the, the very activity that's taking place. Several of these verbs are present tense verbs. We talked about that a little bit last week. We said they're, they're, they're historical presence. Mark is using a technique where you write something in the present tense, and it's sort of like one of those documentaries, you are there kind of thing. It, it helps you to really enter into what's happening. And I think that's so important because, beloved, matters of life and death have a poignancy a reality, an urgency to them that captures our attention. We live, don't we, on the edge of death. Death could arrive at any moment. And we want to know, is there hope? Is there anything afterwards? Is the loss of a loved one a permanent loss? What do we know about death? If we know Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry because we know the one who is in charge of death. We know the one who in the book of Revelation says, I have the keys of death and hell. He's alive forevermore. He is the one who is our Savior. Now, if our Savior is the one who possesses the keys of death and life, the keys of death and hell, if He's the one who is in charge of our eternal destiny, we have hope, don't we? If we know Him as our Savior, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Oh, it can be painful losing a loved one. Absolutely. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians as he's giving courage, encouragement to the believers there. He says, I don't want you to grieve but he doesn't stop the sentence there. He says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Of course, we miss our loved ones when they're gone. They're not here with us anymore. They've gone on before us. And we're going to follow after. 
whereas believers together in Christ, we will be united together forever with the Lord. It's a momentary parting. Jesus comes to this home where death has done its worst. And he's not frightened. He's not ruffled. He's not confused. He's not desperate. He's not trying to just do something to provide a moment's comfort. He says to this little girl, in the presence of her parents and his three inmost disciples, little girl, I say to you, arise. And instantly, Jesus does what no one else on earth could do. He restores the life to that little girl. We could talk about what goes on medically when a person dies and how the brain begins to atrophy and the body begins to decay. Even in those moments that, that you know, the more time there is, the less the body has to be able to even support life. But Jesus speaks the Word and immediately this little girl gets up on her feet. She's 12 years old. She is fully restored to life. And Jesus says, don't let anyone know and I think she wants some lunch. I'm, I'm just, I'm astounded. Jesus takes all of these things in stride. He's not, he's not ruffled by them. He says, don't be spreading this around and give her something to eat. And then he goes, and it doesn't tell us this here, but he leaves. He's out the door. Peter, James, and John following him. Now, why does Jesus say, don't tell anyone? Well, he's, I think, just simply trying to keep the crowds down. What did the crowds do after Jesus' other healings or casting out of demons or whatever? They went and told everybody and the crowd got bigger. So much so that we've read earlier that he couldn't get around easily. Jesus is on a mission here. His mission is not to raise people from the dead. His mission is not to heal sick people. His mission is to save lost people souls to proclaim the good news of the gospel now he was delighted to heal or to raise this girl from the dead to heal the sick to cast out demons because those were evidences of the reality of who he is the son of god the savior of the world but jesus didn't come to bring temporary benefits that dear woman who was healed on the way to Jairus' house, she died. She's not around today, is she? But she experienced Jesus' healing of her. But it was a temporary benefit. This little girl, she died, didn't she? She's not here today. It was a 
temporary benefit. Jesus didn't come to bring temporary benefits. And yet, don't you and I so often expect Jesus to give us temporary benefits? Hey, Jesus, I need this, I need that, I need the other thing. And, and, and we, we hear it on TV and the radio and all kinds of media. You, you get these charlatans telling you that you know, God wants you to have your best life now. You have to name the thing that you want and claim the promise of God and He's bound to give it to you. Nonsense. Jesus is working on something far more important than just temporary pleasures and comforts. He's working in us to accomplish an eternal change from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. So that when this life, which is temporary, comes to an end, and it will, beloved, I guarantee you it will, this life will come to an end at some point in some way for every single one of us, we don't have to worry. Because we know the one who has conquered death. And we're going to be with him forever. Scripture tells us that we get a resurrection body. This little girl is going to get a resurrection body. And so's the woman. And so's Jairus. And so's Mrs. Jairus. And I, I, I hope that all of them were believers. I think the little girl was. I think she had put her trust in Jesus as the Messiah. That's amazing. Here were all these adults who were arguing about who Jesus was. Even the religious leaders were opposing Him, standing against Him. They didn't want to hear what He had to say. And this little 12-year-old girl, she gets it. She gets it. Beloved, don't Look at Jesus as a rabbit's foot to get what you want out of this life. He will not be that. He will not do that. But if you look to Jesus as who He is, the Son of God, the One who has left heaven, taken on human flesh, has lived a life on this earth, a life that in, included all kinds of temptation, and yet He was without sin. He was perfect in His humanity. He is the one who was then able to offer Himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as He was identified by John the Baptist at the beginning of His ministry. That Jesus is the one who bridges the gap between us and God the Father. That Jesus is the one who saves us from our sin. That Jesus is the one to whom we owe our very lives. If you look at Jesus that way and put your trust in Him, you'll be saved. And when this temporary life is over, you will have eternal life with Him. Eternal life. Forever life with Him. That's what Jesus has come to do. That's what His miracles are all about. That's why He commanded them to don't be broadcasting this thing about raising her from the dead because that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is your relationship 
with Jesus Christ through faith. Beloved, it's astounding to me what God does and how clearly He makes these things known. And yet so many people want to deny it. They want to say it didn't happen. They weren't there, but they know that it didn't happen. We have the record. It's been preserved for 2,000 years. It's, it's like a court testimony, you know? It doesn't matter how old a testimony in court is, it's still the official testimony. It's still the truth. It doesn't matter how many years go by. It doesn't matter how many years have gone by since these events took place. We have the record of them. We have the testimony of them. And they should influence the way we think and live and act today. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He holds the keys of life and death he offers eternal life to all who will come to Him by faith. And for those who come, they're not just healed of a physical illness. They're not just raised to a new physical life in this body only to die again. No, no. They get a brand new body. They get an ultimate healing. They get the healing of their soul and the proper restoration of fellowship between themselves and Almighty God, they get forever with Him. And that ought to change the way that we live each and every day. Gives us hope. Gives us strength. Gives us the ability to, to go on with living each day, even in the face of the losses that we have. Because we can say, Lord, You've given, You've taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is temporary. This is only preparing me for what is yet to come. Beloved, if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, I hope that it encourages you to know that Jesus is in control. And whatever happens, whether it's the most pleasant circumstance or the most horrible circumstance we can think of, Jesus is in control. He's got it. And we can trust Him. And we can know that whatever happens in this life, we have that life to come in which there is peace, joy, fellowship unbroken, all the things that we long for, and vastly more. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, that does not have to continue. You can come to Him by faith right now, realizing that what He has done and the record that He has left is so that you and I might come to know Him as our Savior, might come to realize that He is God in the flesh and that He has the answers to all of life's dilemmas. And you come to Him and you say, God, I can't run my life. I I'm a sinner. I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what choices to make. God, please forgive me of my sin and take control of my life that I might know You, that I might serve You, that I might be Your child forever. And He will. He will do that very thing. I hope that you will make that decision today if you haven't. And this would be a great day to do it. 
because we can sit down this afternoon at our leisure and we can talk and we can look into the word of God and you can be strengthened and encouraged in your newfound faith because it's real Jesus is real these events are real eternity is real don't be don't be shut out from it let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's a powerful word, and it sinks deeply into our souls. And Father, I pray that you would bring comfort to those who need comfort, and that you would bring strength and hope to those who need strength and hope, and that you would bring salvation to those who at this moment are lost and without you. Father, I pray that they would turn in simple faith to Jesus and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that you would save them because that's your promise. He who comes to me, I will in no wise, no manner cast out. That we can come to Jesus and find grace and strength to help in time of need. Lord, accomplish your good work in our lives and be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.